Welcome to the Page Two Podcast. This week, we're talking about politics. Giddy up. So, Greg, you just said we're going to be talking about politics today. We and, are. Uh, and I am. And, uh, I'm trembling here. So, welcome to this episode and our last episode uh, yeah, of right. the Page Two Podcast. Depending on how this uh, this goes, we we started this podcast as a as a chance as a space to kind of have really nuanced conversations. And I think you know when we start about this, like, oh, we should talk about politics. Like that's that that's you know. And first season went by, and we and no we, politics. we did not talk. We politics. did not touch that at all. But I, I do remember us, you know, riding on a big you know dry erase board on the topics we need to talk about, and we we mentioned, okay, we got to talk about politics. You know, we got to talk about politics, and then and then it just never happened. And it's just like this hot potato thing. It's like Thanksgiving like, dinner. It's like you just don't want to bring it up because you know it'll change oh Thanksgiving gosh. dinner for the rest of time. Yeah. And yet, and yet, you know, it is it is something that always produces a great conversation uh, great in the sense where there's always a lot of heated opinions and if they're managed well then th- those can be some really substantial conversations but I think what we found in our culture is it's really hard to manage those conversations well it's not easy it, it's hard to have any kind of conversation at all and so with uh, kind of with the ethos of this podcast you know um, obviously we want to be able to to bring up stuff that's dicey to talk about and and in some respects, just um, be able to talk about things well, even if we're not picking sides. You know, we know that when because what happens, it seems like, well, obviously, what happens when, with political conversations is that it's all about winning yeah. and it's all about convincing someone else and, and that. And we we're not we're not getting into that, um, but we do want to talk about the topic hmm. of politics and particularly in this cultural moment, you know, as we're heading into 2020, it's going to be an election year and it's going to be crazy. Yeah. Um, and it would seem like a, a missed opportunity for us to not, you know, bring it up a little. So you're not going to bring out your ballot with me right now and just kind of go through and just say, check here. Our voter guide. The, yeah, we're not, yeah. I'm not bringing out the that's, voter guide. That's no. probably helpful. It, cause, you know, it surprised me even in the last couple of elections where I've, I've actually like, I mean, not that I haven't done this before, but like I really wanted to get in into the nuance on some issues. And I, and it was surprising to me how few of resources or spaces or even people, because, you know, since it's not supposed to be something you're talking about at work or with a family member or at church, sometimes it feels that way, yeah. or in your small group, yeah. that I, I kind of, there's a number of things where I'm like, oh, I'm impassioned. I know this thing, but there's a number of other things where I'm like, I don't, I don't even know where to go to it. And so I think what's exciting to me about this, even though we're not going to go issue by issue or anything, I, I think just even starting with kind of a broad, like, hey, how do we approach this sphere of of topics and in a in an honoring way, in a good way? Um, and and I, I just am looking forward to that. Yeah. And, and one of the things that's actually been difficult for us to have this conversation is that. Uh, we wanted to be able to bring someone in who could we could have this conversation with, and it was you know not real clear on who that would be because yeah. we don't want to come in and do a, have a shouting match between both sides, <laughs> you know, like that that type of thing. Um, and so then we we started thinking about Brad Smith, yeah. And uh, Brad Smith is a is, is a man who's done a lot of different things. He uh, runs a, an international graduate school, but before that, he was a Senate staffer for several years uh, for, for some pretty big names. Yeah. And uh, had a lot of experience, has a lot of memories and, and stories to tell. And we thought it would be interesting just with his experience there um, on the on the Senate um, and, and working with those uh, with those individuals, with those experiences. How does that color how he views politics right now? Yeah. So we recorded a conversation that we're going to hear here in just a minute and then come back and talk about that a little bit. But it was a, it was a pretty a pretty interesting conversation. What are what are what are your thoughts here about what we're about to listen to? Well, I think one thing that's really cool uh, that uh, the perspective that he brings is both having worked in politics and then doing an international school. Right. Yeah. Just because I think it brings in both a national kind of perspective, but also a broader one mm-hmm. of what is he hearing from students and kind of a worldwide perspective. Obviously, with him being a Christian, uh, he brings a, a, a Christian perspective to politics. Um, I do think what's also interesting, and, and this will come out in the, the the interview that we give is you know he was working for a Republican right. uh, staff uh, a, a Senate and so you'll you'll hear parts of that in the interview which is good but it, I think 
it also just is it, there's points in the interview as well where we talk about how there are there are great Christ followers, great people on both sides of the aisle as well. Right. Uh, so I think it brings a really interesting perspective from his part. But then we recognize as a podcast, you know, that we have listeners that are from all different political right. persuasions yes. on there too. And so I think it's just a helpful way to start the conversation uh, that that Brad brings to the yeah, table. Yeah, so we're not we're not bringing Brad in to talk because he's a Republican, right, you know, right. um but because he has some some um some good stories to tell and and from a Christian perspective um has wrestled with some of these things and so uh it was it was a pretty interesting conversation. So let's jump in uh to uh to a dialogue that Eric and I had uh with Brad Smith and then we'll come back here after a little bit and debrief. So you were in DC and you've uh you worked with a lot of big names and did did some pretty cool things and then um, transitioned uh, in your career and have done other things now. And now you're the president at Baki uh, Graduate University. So one of the reasons we wanted to bring you in and talk is because I think that you come at uh, you, you come at this the question of politics and the because it's it's like this 500 pound gorilla right now. Yes. And um, but you come at this conversation uh, with some pretty unique perspectives, perhaps uh, because of your background and and what you've experienced. And so um, maybe from a just as an as an introduction here, um, how have you seen uh, how have you seen things change? Maybe from when you first jumped in or or maybe even back up, like how do you even approach this conversation uh, around politics? Um, and uh, and maybe let's kind of steer the conversation that way because I just love to hear love to hear some of your thoughts. Well, I do think it has changed, but not significantly. And okay. I know the the way we've reported it has changed. Yeah, and it has. I think it has been significant in some ways. So uh, my job when I worked for Howard Baker was to watch and schedule things on the Senate floor and oversee pages. Uh, so we were located our offices on the Senate floor. Sometimes, as you know, uh, the Senate goes late at night, and it just goes drones on and on. And so um, sometimes the senators that were leading it would go over to a nearby restaurant called the Monocle. Mm -hmm. And um, so they would uh, ask me to go with them. I would ask one of my staff to stay and kind of pay attention. And then I would call. You know, we didn't have cell phones back then. So I'd call from the Monocle every 15, 30 minutes and just kind of see what's going on, see if we needed to go back. It's all within walking distance. And so what that meant is I got to sit to be, to be a you know fly on the wall and right. listen to people like it was Howard Baker, Barry Goldwater, because mm-hmm. I was in the Republican side, yeah. John Tower, uh, people that had been in the Senate for years. And they spent a lot of their time complaining about the loss of civility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is 1983, 84. Right. Okay? Yeah. And how civility was being so uh, downgraded because the Senate is supposed to be a place of civil behavior. Yeah. And that you're not even allowed to address a senator by name. You always say the senator from Alaska, the junior senator from Alaska. And uh, you have to wear a suit and a tie if you're a male. And a female has to wear a, uh, staff as well as senators. And so there was a civil way of discourse. But yet they had seen that uh, going down from the time that they had been. Mm. Most of them, 1960s, even one was in the 50s, and just had bemoaned that. Yeah. Um, now I think that's only continued, right. and I think, but I think that reflects something that's happening in society. And I think the big issue is, government does not lead society; it responds to society. And I think that's something that as Christians we need to be aware of. Yeah, um, the representatives are looking at what's happening out there; they want to get elected, mm-hmm. and so a lot of what they're doing is reacting to what's going on. And so if society wants to see a fight. Between Democrats and Republicans, they will fight, and yeah. they will use fight language, and um, and yet, so you have to say what has driven that in society uh, yeah. is probably where the biggest change is. Interesting. So for you, because I mean, you you were there for five years, is what you're saying, and then you got out of it. Um, what was it that you saw yourself being able to do more, just with your personality of something effectively elsewhere, or was it? Just hey, I, I don't know if this is the right place for 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 me to enact change for you know for my faith is in politics. What what was it behind that that said you know I'm going to I mean that was great but I'm going to leave that uh, behind. 
I think it was a personal call. First of all, I don't think I've ever had as much fun as when I was in politics. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. when I was a child, I loved to play the game Stratego. Yeah. It's Stratego every day. Yeah. You know, just the zeros are a lot more. And so, you know, the numbers are bigger. Um, and it's just fun. You're you're strategizing. You're engaging people. You're trying to talk people into things. You're trying to figure out what other people are talking other people into and heading them off at the pass. Um, so as a staff member, it was really a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, but I reached the time I had to make a commitment. Do I then go for the long term? Yeah. And there had been some people saying, let's get you in the route to be to, to be a candidate. And it, after five or six years, you've got to make that decision. Yeah. Um, so I was in the process of that decision. Typically, you have to build your career a little bit if you're going to run. And so I had applied to Harvard and and gotten accepted to a combined MBA and JD program. And, you know, that made, made sense. But then uh, what I didn't realize is when I applied, I didn't know if I'd be accepted. I went, I was doing mission, uh, preaching at a street mission. And, you know, if you've ever done that, people come up um, somewhat not sober. And so they say, you know, I accepted <laughs> Jesus and you never know. And so you'd always say, I'll show up tomorrow morning and we'll go through a discipleship. Thing. Yeah. And most of the time I would show up, nobody was there. This night I preached, came in the next day and the, guy, the guys go, what did you do last night? So, well, you know, did my normal bad sermon, <laughs> you know, and they said, this guy has accepted Christ. He's got 11 people in there that wow. have accepted Christ. So God had done something. It was very impactful. Yeah. So that day I was sitting and I, I often was at the front when they were about to vote with a yellow pad to say a motion to vitiate the table, the previous motion to vitiate that previous motion that was tabled. We're voting yay, you know, or nay. <laughs> and so you try to explain that as people come into yeah. the well, yeah. you know, because of the parliamentary. And I was listening to a senator from South Carolina who was the consummate senator, white hair, you know, my fellow senators, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I was watching that, and God just struck me and said, what I'm asking you to do, this is very important. What I'm asking you to do is do something more to what you saw last night. Wow. That very day is when I got my acceptance. But I needed that from God to say, go do that. Yeah. And there's days I kind of wonder. Okay, yeah. Because uh, that was, you know, you kind of. But I know that God was in that in very direct ways. I just connect with that just because, you know, I had the the high-end position in D.C. for six months as an intern. Just super, I mean, just so valued, you know, across everything. (laughs) They they just, the city missed me when I left. You know, they're like, what will we do? But uh, I've heard that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you have. Yeah, there's some monuments that they're thinking of naming, but we won't get to that on that. Uh, But there was an idea for me when I was there for six months. I loved the the energy of the mm-hmm. city, and I missed I missed the energy uh, that came with knowing when you walked into a building, particularly the Capitol, and just that this was the place where things happened, yes. and to be a part of that, and even uh, even to the point of like getting a name badge that allowed me to have access to that. There was something I, I don't know if that was either a good part of my of my heart or a bad part of my heart, but there's something that just that liked that. Um, but I remembered getting into it in a few months and just realizing that the people that were there, um, they bleed it and you have mm-hmm. to bleed it to, mm-hmm. to survive, whether it's one party or a particular issue, you just have to, you have to, because the hours are long and, uh, and all that. And so for me, I was realizing that I liked it, but it was kind of a, a, a critical moment of whether or not I'm going to jump into this full on or not. And I, uh, in my, I was over there with my school and we had a whole group of students. Most of them were not from my background. They were mostly, um, more liberal than I would have been. And we just had some great, we started having great conversations about Jesus, which was really interesting because I, I wasn't trying to necessarily. Um, and I, I walked away feeling like, okay, for me, I just can't get back past the fact that that's the most important thing for me to be talking about. Mm-hmm. And that in that city, it, we never got to talk about those things. It was more of there was battle lines drawn and all that. And, and so I walked away and that's when I went to Dallas Seminary as well. Um, I wonder how many people from Washington D.C. wind up at the <laughs> seminary, but I, I just resonate with what you're talking about. That that that's not everyone's choice. Like, there's great people that are serving um, in politics, but for me, there was a almost a crossroads. And there's times where I wish, in some ways, I, I miss the energy that came with that. But um, but I think there was a realization too that there's some more significant conversations mm-hmm. that could happen for me that weren't um, in the Capitol. Um, so as you think about it now, um, I think Greg, Greg and you were talking about this a little bit before the podcast started as far as there are different approaches that people have when mm-hmm. they think about interacting um, with our government and that you, uh, you have a particular approach that maybe isn't 
what one for everybody, but just one that you've taken. Can you talk a little bit more about okay. that? So just responding also, I mean, I do have Potomac fever, yeah. always will. So, you know, you yeah. know hi, I'm Brad. Yeah. I am addicted to politics. <laughs> hi, Brad. Yeah. You know, we'll have a little 12 step here. Um, because it is amazing. And uh, to be able to sit at night watching the news mm. in the majority leader's office with eight of the people that are on TV okay, yeah. and yeah. listening to yeah. them react to themselves on TV, yes. that's a heady trip. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yet you realize you're cycling. You realize government is reacting. They're not leading as much as mm. we think. They're reacting to society and culture. Uh, so it is addictive and still am. When yeah. I go to D.C., I get excited. Yeah. So my approach, um, and it's not for everybody, but I think I am wired by God um, so, uh, as more of a peacemaker, uh, middle child, so somewhere in there. And so my approach may be different than somebody else's approach that may be wired by God and called to God to be prophetic. And I think often if we respect each other as a peacemaker, I can follow a prophetic voice who's also a prophet, prophetic for the kingdom, meaning speaking out and being more strident. Um, I don't enjoy arguments as, as as much as other people do. Yeah. But the people that do actually set it up for those of us that perhaps are more peacemakers. And then we, in respect for them, realize their role and our role and then their respect for us rather than calling us squishy and wimps, to realize actually what they've set up may be the very thing that allows us to, to continue. Mm. So as I talk about my role, I think it is part of my calling, but it may be different than somebody else's. And so the one thing I always think for all of us is to realize we are not citizens first of the United States. We are citizens first of the kingdom of heaven, mm. and we're aliens on this world. And I think that helps us to back up a bit to understand, to get caught up into what's happening here as if for some reason this is our home uh, does create a way to get into problems. Secondly, to think that any one of our parties are actually have the solution is false. Uh, they don't. And in some ways what's happened in this polarization of the last uh, you know, number of years, and I don't blame Trump for that. I think that polarization has occurred for a long time. I think he's dramatized it. Mm. But the reaction has dramatized it as well. And so what we've seen is you've got to look at the news and watch both the Republicans and the Democrats and say, they're kind of silly. Okay, they really yeah. are. It feels a little bit like junior high yeah. you know, um, arguments on the playground. And but that's both sides. Yeah. And so that helps us to think about as Christians. But it's a serious silly um, we are kingdom citizens. How do we look at that and not get drawn into it? Because mm -hmm. it's easy to be fearful. Fear is what draws you in. But to recognize that we are citizens of, of the king who will win. Um, we may lose in the meantime, whatever. You know, and we understand in Revelation 13 that the church is overcome, uh, but not totally. And so uh, our job is to be faithful mm -hmm. and to understand where our citizenship lies. That doesn't mean we may have a leaning toward one party or the other, our particular viewpoints or policies, but to feel like that's going to save us, that's our identity, uh, we should be unchristlike in our means in order to accomplish what we feel like are Christ-like ends. All of those are things we can, we are traps we need to avoid. Hmm. Hmm. So I think um, probably each of us in our own way, we can see representations of Christianity within the political uh, world that, that makes us cringe, mm -hmm. but it, but maybe it's not the same thing that makes us cringe. Sure. You know, um, it kind of de might depend on our slant or, you know, that type of thing. And maybe without, you know, revealing more than you want to reveal, um, what is it within this political, within the political climate? And when you see the church engaged, it kind of makes you cringe um, okay. when you see it. I'm going to go back to a label. The label is evangelical. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so what happens is that label is thrown around a lot. Mm -hmm. And so evangelical Christian, you know, what does that mean? In reality, the term evangelicalism uh, was used in the 1700s. Um, in 1846, they actually organized groups around that in uh, England and the term evangelical meant people that understood how to proclaim the gospel and live the gospel. That's why you have uh, like Salvation Army has an evangelical roots. You'll see that on their page, their Wikipedia yeah. page. And so um, 
evangelicals were known from the beginning as people who had good news to speak, but also did good news. They cared for people that were in poverty, and they, and they cared for issues of justice. When you use that term around the world, and there's about 650 million evangelicals around the world, and so part of my role is to, I do the training for the World Evangelical Alliance, uh, which is the representative body, um, and we're the head of their, their leadership training. Those are 130 nations that have national evangelical alliances. Except for the United States, most of them would say the term evangelical means still what it meant in the 1840s and went forward. Yeah. And so when you use the word evangelical in Sri Lanka, the recent bombings, and if you notice, most of the news articles are about evangelical response. These are people that are are advocates for the poor, advocates for justice. They were the ones that were peacemakers in the mm-hmm. aftermath of that. Even the, the Hindus were afraid that the Christians would rise up against the Muslims or vice versa, and yet they became the peacemakers. And so the term evangelical actually is a quite a positive term. Yeah. The rest of the world is hearing that term used in the Western media in odd ways. Right. So let's go and look at it. So in the Western media... It's used as people that are angry because of pro-life issues and they scream at you. Mm-hmm. Um, or they have really weird hair and say weird things on TV. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. and they're the ones that, and they, yeah. they get labeled that way. When you actually look at the people that are often are quoted, and I'm not going to go into names, right. they're actually not aligned with the World Evangelical Alliance. We have a National uh, Evangelical Alliance here, the NAE, National uh, Alliance of Evangelicals. And that's the alignment that says we are committed to work as evangelicals. Most of those people that you hear talking are not actually, they're labeled evangelical. They may call themselves that, but they don't align with the world body. Mm-hmm. And and so, first of all, the the United States evangelicals are a minority in the world. And then these people that are speaking odd things are not even aligned with the ones that are official evangelicals because they are uh, perhaps yeah. had odd views, we'll put it that way. And so um, that's what it's hard. And so when you say, what is the church known for? A lot of time it's a, it's a characterization of the church that's just not true. Right. And yet that is important for how media works. There's a whole economic engine that is designed to polarize our culture. And the more people that are involved in media, the more those economic engines work. So back in the 60s, you, 70s, you had Walter Cronkite. Why would people watch him? Only three news stations, because he was trusted. He seemed to be balanced. When he talked, he made sense. He didn't seem to be too extreme one way or the other. And so you would get more money to your advertising dollars by having somebody who is logical, makes sense, balanced, sane, Mm -hmm. and kind of talked to the general audience. Nowadays, you have so many hundreds of thousands of voices competing. And so now you make more more money by polarizing your audience and drawing people to that. I think we need to be aware that it's Christian. So what we're reading and digesting and thinking is true is actually driven by an economic engine designed to polarize our views. As citizens of heaven, we need to back up and recognize that right. and recognize that um, this is not something we have to buy into. And that would help us to avoid the fear of what's being created mm. And if anything, as Christians, we should be the ones to navigate between the poles and to be able to uh, listen, listen well, but also talk sense. And I can share a little bit about how that's done. But I think that's we have to understand the engine. There's not evil people out there being evil, trying to convince people. They're they're trying to make money and they're trying to advance their careers. The system has a very evil sense to it. And um, as a journalist, how would you fight it otherwise? Well, and even in politics, too, with the way the primary system works is designed to push people to the extreme, which it made me sad because there the number of thoughtful – it's not saying the people that are elected now aren't thoughtful, but there is a – like to your point, an incentive, it seems, to the politician that is extremely devoted to one particular party that they are going to be the ones that will maintain that status, whereas the people that work across the aisle are thoughtful – um, engage in some of those third rail issues where you're like, oh, no one's ever, I mean, the things that our government desperately needs to change, like uh, the way entitlements are done or the way that um, taxation's done, all those things are like really hard to do. And I remember just seeing that there's so many people that 
the ones that would engage in those, even in a thoughtful way, or even like an immigration is another polarizing issue. The people that would engage with it often get elected out the next time right. around. So you can imagine, Eric, running your, your slogan, you know, vote for me. Yeah. I'm prudent. Okay. <laughs> I'm balanced. This is exciting. <laughs> <laughs> prudent always gets me every I'm, time. I'm, yeah, I know. That's a George Bush. I'm, I'm sane. Yeah. Um, and I will listen to all sides. Yeah. You're not going to get elected. That's yeah. like, okay, and who's going to cover you? Because, you know, Eric um, does, a, does his campaign speech about being prudent. <laughs> you know, there's nothing. You can't really get eyes on that. You can't make money as a journalist. Yeah. And so the system has – it's an evil system. It's a system that's, uh, that's broken. And so it's hard to run in a balanced way. Yet that would – one would argue a statesman that's civil that actually does represent – uh, both sides would be perhaps a better representative. So I don't even know. I don't know lately how to vote. You know, like I, I struggle. I think a lot of people do with the idea of we are in a two-party system. Sometimes it feels inescapable. I mean, I know there's always a a guy that'll probably run in the middle of somewhere like that. But in general, it seems like you know we're stuck. And you know, I, I resonate with what you're talking about with being a peacemaker, kind of in the in the middle. I, I wonder. I, I I don't feel like I have options anymore on who do I <laughs> who do I vote or how do I even engage in it. So I'm just curious from your perspective, just how 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 would a Christian approach the polls? Like especially when you when you don't have a lot of choice on who winds up being on that ballot. Is there any just general philosophy that you go by, or how do you press into that? There's different views. Uh, and different worldviews, and I think part of it is we have to listen to that. So in answering your question, how do I vote, I think n- neither party is actually something I'm excited by. Okay? But I also I have to think through, as best I can tell, my culture, what I would think God would be most interested in, how do I vote for some, but something and then try to advocate for something um, based upon the priorities of these policies. For me, pro-life is a big deal, mm-hmm. uh, but that may not be true for a lot of people. And that's okay. I understand that. I'm not going to sit there and start throwing Bible verses at them. Uh, and it may not be true for Christians in other parts of the of the country. Um, but I also, I think we listen. Hmm. Uh, but it's hard. I, part of it is nobody, I don't get excited by any party. I think they're both being pretty silly right now. And I think, but I do get excited about the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. Okay. And uh, we're the justice of God. And to some degree, the worse it gets... Okay. The more I realize Satan has lied to us, you know, God doesn't have your best interest in mind, eat this pomegranate, you know, this is Genesis 3, um, that actually that displays to us that God has the right answer and he is good. Yeah. Um, but yet I'm still held accountable for my stewardship of displaying his goodness in this earth. So what I hear you saying, which resonate, uh, which I resonate with too, is that neither party has the holds the the keys to truth or the Christian or even the Christian perspective, that there is Christian perspective, valid Christian perspective in a number of—in both parties, obviously, but even in some details that neither party will fully capture uh, in that. And I think, for me, one of the—it's both a—it's an encouraging, but it's also a sad reality. The sad reality being that there is no—no one party has ever fixed anyone's full problems, you know, like uh, when I was an intern, it was during the years of George W. Bush, you know, uh, a identified evangelical Christian. Yes. And then uh, and then after that, you know, we're, uh, was President Clinton. Um, and it's interesting of just like people always lamenting when who is in power and who is not. And yet in those moments, it's not like evangelicalism, however you define it, was flourishing <laughs> at that point during the Bush years. And so I it, it, it's a sobering thing, I think, it's, it, for me that politics cannot wind up being the the main hope that we have for for change. At least that's what what I've come to on that. And it gets hard because there's certain personalities and there's policies. Okay, so I did I was able to work with uh, George H. W. Bush, yeah. uh, Daddy Bush, and so he was a man of deep. He was a statesman, yeah, and he was. Um, very intelligent. Um, I just really enjoyed working with him, what he would say, how he would treat me, how he would mm. treat others. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean, and I guess I agreed with a lot of his policies. So let's say he was a Democrat that did not have those policies. There's a part, do I vote for the personality or do I vote for the policies? 
And I think as a Christian, I would have a tendency more to vote for the policies mm. um, because that's what I'm really voting for. Yeah. Um, but it's sad because I really would maybe like the, the personality of the leader. Now, somebody else may say, let's vote for their character uh, and let's vote for what their character does to display something in our culture. And I think that's an individual decision that we should talk about in the community of the church, but hold it loosely if somebody else comes to a different conclusion. I think for me, um, since I see so much that's problematic on both sides Mm -hmm. of the two-party system, I am more inclined to temper my enthusiasm around the whole topic of politics at all. You know, that Mm -hmm. um, at least, you know, and I will vote. I feel like it's a responsibility for me to vote. But for me to jump on, you know, within social media or whatever, or to jump into um, a lot of engagement on one side or the other, um, that's one of the things that makes me cringe, whether it's either side, you know, um, that uh, to where it seems like depending on maybe what part of the country you're living in, it seems that that political party has sort of taken the church hostage. Yes. And speaks for the church to where then if you're a Christian in that culture, then of course that, you know, you sort of have to swallow the whole thing um, of what this, what, whichever side it is and you, and, um, and then sort of hold your nose at, at parts that you don't like, but this is, this is us and this, you know, that kind of thing. And that whole thing, it causes me to disengage probably more than I should, um, but, and that's part of the, you know, as we head into 2020 and it's going to be, I mean, there's no reason to think it's not going to be crazy. Um, as we head into this next year, um, there's a part of me that just wants to turn off my computer and just not engage at all. And, um, I'm not exactly sure what good it would do for me to engage, you know, because I don't really like, you know, and, and so th- there's a, there's a little bit of a frustration or a hopelessness. I think that people have, there's, um, I think that some of the anger that people have is just that is just not not even so much anger at the other side, but anger that it just seems so broken, and we're just and it just makes us mad, you know. That there's um, I just spewed all over both of you guys. <laughs> Sorry about that, but I just uh, I'm not exactly sure what what to do with that. Um, as and you guys come from a political background a little bit, I don't, and so there's a part of me that just want to like. You know, I, I just assume not talk about this anymore. And so, and that's probably wrong too, but what, what do you hear in that or what, how do you respond to that? Well, you can't be in our 12 step group. <laughs> <laughs> we meet in the Potomac you know, inside the Beltway. It'll be that's great. Right. Yeah. Not for you so, though, Greg. Not so, going to allow yeah. you for that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I understand that. Um, again, going back to, we are citizens of the kingdom. Uh, our job is to change culture. Government reacts to that. Okay. Yeah. So how do we be proactive? I do enjoy politics, so I do read it and listen to it. But it helps me when somebody says, you know, we need to be part of the resistance, okay? And so I actually know enough to start asking questions. Well, why? Why do you need to be part of the resistance? And let them talk and listen. And then ask another set of questions. Well, where do you think that's going to lead? And what what comes after the resistance? And why would we resist – and we have, we're a democracy, you know, uh, so wouldn't we not resist but vote to change? So trying to be aware enough to help conversations, um, but recognizing that conversation may no go, not go anywhere. Right. And, you know, they say if you're a good salesman, uh, you know you've had a good sales a presentation when you talk 20% or 15%, right? Okay. <laughs> Same thing in helping somebody adjust their view of anger and fear. If you've talked 20%, you know, 15% and ask questions and help them move along. But to do that, you have to study politics. You've got to know how to answer the questions and answer something very short and hopefully help them move. And you never know. So that's part of it. Um, I think what most will change our country. And so if you think about what creates a culture, they would say um, the stories of a culture create a culture. Mm -hmm. And whoever has influence over the young will create a culture. And so that, those are the two most powerful things in a culture. So to some degree, we're waking up after decades of being asleep. Yeah. Uh, and so you can't just automatically get angry. And we realize there are people in our country that are just on a different planet and totally different view, 
totally different worldview. We can't expect people that are not Christians to act like Christians uh, or even think like Christians. So it's our job is to, in a winsome way, sometimes a direct way, sometimes a prophetic way, is to begin to break into that worldview. We also know below that worldview that they have that's, a, I think, a, 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 deceited, a deceitful worldview is they're made in the image of God. And so there's a truth that we can speak in winsome ways mm-hmm. that they go, you know, that just made a lot of sense. Where did you get that from? And to keep having those conversations. So if you don't like politics, uh, my sense is how would you invest in uh, uh, changing the stories of right. the neighborhood, the community? How do you invest in helping young people to not be perhaps swayed by, right. by worldviews that are deceitful? And do it that way. And frankly, you might have more impact on politics in the long term than if you got involved with you know, yelling right. at people and marching in the streets. Yeah. And, and you, you alluded to something just a minute ago that politics and really and legislation are kind of downstream from yes. culture. Yes. And so uh, I think that for those of our listeners who do kind of um, cringe or they're not quite in, engaged uh, or, or don't know how to engage in politics, I would still encourage people to vote. I mean, yes. that is an incredible just a, an incredible right and responsibility and stewardship that we have. But beyond that, um, when we engage in um, storytelling or culture, we are engaged in culture shaping. Yes. Um, and that, and there are things and I'm an, I have an artist background and mm-hmm. I can speak, you know, to musicians and artists and who are or people who are writers and those types of things that is culture shaping. Yes. Um, and sometimes when we get when sometimes when things get to the level of legislation, we're a little bit late like that. That train left a long hmm. time ago um, and we may have been asleep at the wheel 60 years ago when that conversation was actually going on or 50 years ago. And we do have an opportunity now, you know, with what what's um, and so there there is. That's, that's, the, that's the thing that kind of fuels me. Um, but then I turn on the news and I just want to turn it off again, you know, so that's kind of, you know. Yeah, and so. Brad, I was surprised. I don't know if this is – maybe you weren't surprised. But I, I was just surprised at how much is decided at the local level that I have – and I still do not – I do not like engaging terribly at the local level of like – different ordinances and local elections. And I know that I, I don't even know the percentages off the top of my head of how many people vote in those non-primary or non-presidential elections, but I know it's really low. It's real it's, low. It's, it's real low for me too. And I, but yet I've realized just, okay, those are, those are the ones where your vote, I mean, your vote always matters, but your vote really matters when you're like talking about like, you know, difference of, you know, hundred, 200, 300 votes, you know, in between these things. And I think what surprised me is that in hearing what you've what you've said is sticking with me on the government is designed to react, not necessarily to create, which totally makes sense that at the local level, it's almost like we have the ability to create some of those conversations that we don't spend our time on. And yet we can make a big difference there. And yet I spend most of my time thinking about Washington, D.C., which could really care less about my one individual vote unless I unless right. I am a huge donor, which I'm not. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, did that – has that changed how you – I mean did that surprise you too on just the, the impact on how someone could – like say someone wants to get involved in their local community, um, but we don't. It, w- did that surprise you at just the amount of impact someone could have at the local level? Um, I think what you spoke is true. I think it's well said. Um, A number of our students have run for mayor and have gotten mayor's um, jobs. Um, And even internationally, we have one of our students ran for the presidency of Zimbabwe. And another is the head of city council for Addis Ababa, which is a a city in Ethiopia. Um, And I watched the impact they have. And they have impact on policy. But they also have impact on tone mm-hmm. and culture yeah. and their character to some degree, even if like the, the one in Zimbabwe, you know, who really won that election? We're not sure, but he did not officially. Okay? Yeah. But his tone, his character, um, he did a fundraiser here in Dallas to get a bulletproof car, okay, which mm-hmm. Zimbabwe welcomed to the campaigning there. Yeah. Um, and yet, partly because he spoke with character and spoke about uh, positive change and where and created a vision and a dream for the country, he perhaps was not as targeted as he might have been, and did not try to diminish, you know, or, or talk down. And I think that created, I think, a cultural changing event in Zimbabwe. It's in process. 
So, and another mayor that's run, and you know, he's in, currently in the campaign, so I won't speak up, but he's running for a city that is pretty antagonistic toward Christians. Mm. And yet his character of not speaking negatively about his opponents, but speaking positively about his vision, I think he'll be elected. So there's several things. One is he was going to have a lot of impact on policy at local because a mayor, a, con- a councilman, even somebody running for a school board, all of those have a lot of impact. But also even the visibility at the local level is close enough and r- relational enough that people say, I like him. I hate Christians, but I like that one. You know, And, you, and that's, that opens up conversations um, that I think are important. So I, I think it would be you know, what you said I think is wise. Mm-hmm. So to take the opposite of what Greg, of Greg's kind of view of like, of just the idea of like, hey, he's kind of tired of the whole conversation. Let's flip that and say you have somebody that is deeply passionate, but also maybe even deeply distraught over the state of our government, over a particular issue, over frustrated with a candidate. What would you say to that person on how they could engage with those feelings, but in a healthy way, in a helpful way, um, speak to that kind of person. I think distraught is better than fear, okay? And so to come before God and say, God, you are sovereign, and you're in control of this, and even the bad things that happen give you glory, because that displays, it's like um, the illustration we use, um, the old preacher illustration from someone. So you take a beautiful pearl, and you put it under a bright light, it shines, it's pretty. You take that same beautiful pearl and you put it on black velvet, it's pretty because of the contrast. Mm. God's character is displayed even in the midst of evil, that he is good and he's been lied about. You know, Satan said he doesn't have your best interest in mind, but he gave his only son to die for us. That seems like best interest. I think Satan's lie has been, been uh, revealed. So when we see that and we're distraught, things are horrible happening around us, we go to God and say, God, let me just say thank you that your character is revealed in these horrible circumstances. And just this this terrible polarization of our country, you are good. You're uh, the one that unifies. And when you come back and, and you make all things well, we'll just rejoice in that. So there's a rest that occurs. But God, I grieve over what's happening here. And I know you grieve as well. And so give me my calling. What do I do? So you move out, not out of fear, and, and say, God, I will do what you've asked me to do. There's no guarantee I'll win. Okay? I mean, you know, that's not the point. The point is I'm asking for discernment on what you want me to do and move forward. So there's a freedom. And then you can engage politics without fear, with a freedom, as you will be attacked you can respond in a Christ-like way. You're not desperate. If you lose, you lose. And you knew that God could, you know, you did a stewardship of the best way you could. And there's a certain rest in that, a centering. And I think when people see candidates that are centered beyond that campaign, they respond by saying, what's going on with that person? And even if you don't win, the visibility of the race, people will come and approach and say, you have something different that I've never seen before that kept you calm in this storm, kept you centered when everybody else was yelling at you, and kept you out of nasty fights, although you articulated your position quite strongly. How'd you get that? And that opens up a conversation. And and they would say, I've smelled the kingdom. It's drawn near. But the key is move forward with pain and 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 distraughtness, but not fear, and confidence in God's character. And I think that makes you a better candidate, frankly, um, and certainly a better person. That's great. Well, Brad, I know you have a, a very busy schedule, and we um, just so appreciate you taking a few minutes to uh, to sit down and talk with us. And I think your perspective is just uh, it's just very very welcomed here. And so, thank, thank you. you, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for inviting me in, and it's fun to to hear what you're thinking. Yeah, thank you. You bet. And we're back. Okay, so Eric, that was a lot that that Brad gave. And so um, I'm just going to ask you a question. You know, he brought up a lot of different topics, told some different stories and stuff like that. Um, Here, like kind of off the top of your head, what what impacted you the most? Or what what are you going to sort of think about now? Yeah. Yeah, I liked I liked his the two different categories. He, he listed a couple of categories of being him being a peacemaker, yeah, uh, versus people that have more of a prophetic uh, you uh-huh. know, mentality. Which 
is really intriguing to me because, I mean, you think of the peacemaker, you're like, okay, this is someone that is always trying to bring people together. Um, so there's a good quality of that, but sometimes the peacemaker can be thought of as sort of uh, weak or yeah. moderate or middle of the ground. So I loved that he allowed for that that space. That tends to be a space that I find myself in quite right. a bit. But then he also allowed for a, a person that's more of a prophetic uh, person. Mm-hmm. And we think of a you know a prophet in the Old Testament is like somebody who's you know really calling people out yeah, over really speaking yeah, forth. yeah they're speaking forth and kind of harsh and all that and and I love that he didn't he didn't tell us that you need to pick one or that there's one that's better and, and right. I, in some ways I would have assumed he might have where yeah. he would say you know what you guys need to be more peacemakers as as Christians or hey you know what Christians all need to be more of that prophetic you know in your face. Kind of thing. And and I so, do see, like, within Christian circles, like, there's, you know, it's difficult to sort of have dialogues with people you disagree with and all of that. But then even within our own circle, there's there are kind of factions there yes. on what is the appropriate way. Is it to speak forth and kind of be prophetic or is it to be more of a peacemaker? And a lot of us kind of have have in our mindset there, that one way is better than right. the other or more appropriate than yes. the other. I love the, that he, he allowed for that space to yeah. be both because I, I agree with you. I think I just see a lot of fights uh, where, um, you know, somebody that's super passionate about a particular issue that we should be passionate about, whether it's the environment yeah. or uh, people or lot, you yeah, know, anything, right. you know, like that there is a tendency of people that have that passion um, that they, they get frustrated if everyone else doesn't necessarily, uh, you know, come at that passion in the same way. Right. And I think he just really put a word in there that says, man, we need that person to be passionate. Like that they, there shouldn't, there needs to be prophets in our culture of that kind of stuff. But that there's also a space for the person that's like, man, I, I get that, but I, I want to see improvement and, and change as well. Mm-hmm. But there's a, maybe a different way to do it. And so yeah. I just found that, that to be a really helpful distinction I never thought of before. Yeah, that's great. What about Absolutely. you? You know, I think the thing that, that stood out to me, um, and I kind of mentioned it a, a little bit or responded to it there in, in the conversation, but I'm still thinking about that, is the whole idea that government doesn't lead society, it responds to it. Yeah. And I think that a lot of times we feel like it does lead it, you know? Um, and there's been, you know, there's been a lot of people who've, who've written about the whole idea of culture shaping and how, and how culture um, is upstream mm. of politics and, and legislation. That by the time something sort of comes up for legislation that's going to be that's sort of a big cultural question, uh, we're a little late. Yeah. You know, that... Um, that the stories that we're telling are the way, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to, to interact with culture and to be culture makers. Um, and as an artist, that's real important to me. And, um, the, the artwork that we make or the movies that we make or the, the, the music or the, the writing and all of those things, they help shape a culture, um, for good or for bad, you know, and sometimes depending on our slant, we can look back 50 years ago and, you know, and say, well, those movies or that, you know, or, or whatever, (laughs) but it's like, you know, it's happening on both sides. And sometimes it's, and sometimes we're not real careful either sort of on our side and, you know, that kind of stuff that there's that, that the things that we do, um, the types of businesses that we make, that the type, the the way that we do church and interact with our, with our community, the, the type of artwork we make, like all of those types of things will sort of show up, um, years later in the type of legislation and, Mm. and that, but to, to sort of recognize that our, that, that, that our politicians are not our saviors. They're not, they're not the, the ones that are, um, um, that are shaping culture. They're responding to it. Yeah. And it is kind of telling though, too, like when, um, if we say, you know, we want to have a cat fight among politicians, they'll do it for us. <laughs> you know, they'll yeah. have a cat fight. Yeah. And um, and we can say, oh, this is just terrible, you yeah. know. But then you look at the ratings, yes, and what we watch, you know, all that kind of stuff, and it's like, well, they're they're they are responding to us. Um, they're not leading this charge yeah. um, on on divisiveness and all of that kind of stuff. And so there there we do have a role to play, um, and that is both overwhelming and um, and encouraging. You know, it's yeah. overwhelming because I look at this big thing of our culture. And it's like, well, you know, I, I can't do all of that. But in my own sphere of influence, um, I can be a culture maker in a, in a good way in yeah. the way in which we have conversations or the, the type of artwork I want to um, support, you know, with um, 
with my money or the type of artwork I want to make or the type of businesses I want to support, you know, like those types of things. Um, it's, it's a long road. And sometimes I feel like we, we put all of our sort of chips on a certain election or, or whatever. Um, but that the, the train left that station a while ago, you yeah. know, by the time elections come up. Yeah. It's almost like, uh, you know, when you're talking about like cable news uh, skyrocketed during the last few elections, and, yeah. and and yet at the same time it was skyrocketing. I think everyone was decrying the uh, the tone of our culture, and you're like, well, it can't. I mean, it's kind of yeah. both. Then you're right. like, all right, so our our culture is so messed up, and news media is so messed up, and yet we're consuming it more and more. And so I think to your point that uh, in a lot of ways these systems are just reacting to right. us, you know. And if we if we even if we say we don't want it, but we actually still consume it or go that direction, they're just reacting yeah. to it. And I thought that was a really interesting point that he mentioned about, you know, how yeah, government re- responds or reacts to society, yeah. which is an empowering thing to me as a person is to say, hey, I actually can shape that. On yeah. my, I don't need to wait every four years to do that. Like right. I can do that. I can do that today. And and you know, it's cheesy, but to be the change you want to see, it's like, well, that's kind of true uh, that if we wish Washington acted a different way, then then we probably need to say, am I acting the way right. that I would want them to act? You and, know? and it's more than just voting. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like the bare minimum. Right. To show up <laughs> and actually, you know, you know, take time out of our schedule to show up and actually vote. You know, that's kind of like the bare minimum. But there's stuff that we can be doing all the time to help shape the culture around us. Yeah. Um, that changes the conversation. And when the conversation changes, um, politicians listen. And um, that's, I think that's the, that's the thing I'm taking the most. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought the the final thing I'll just mention would be that, you know, we're not first citizens of the United States, oh, we're yeah. citizens of, you know, of, of heaven. And, mm-hmm. and I, I think that's just a really cool reminder. I mean, again, it wasn't like an aha, like I've never thought of that right. before, but I do think it was a it was a, a bit of a gut punch because I think most of the time I approach politics, it it kind of – I don't think first of like what would – what politics would best advance the mission of God? And there's so many ways you can answer that right. uh, depending on your perspective. But I still think that that's, that's the question I need to be asking. Yeah. You know? um, and, and when our candidate loses and yes. we can think that the How, world is falling or, yes. or the sky is falling or that God is somehow no longer in control or whatever, right. we could panic. Um, and there's, there's a, you know, there's a little bit of God's you know, not up there wringing his election yeah. or wringing his hands open. Yeah. And like when November comes around 2020, right. you know, who's going to win? He's like, right. you know, it's, it's going to be fine. And, and that the people of God have always, we, we have a chance to act redemptively no matter who is president yeah. and no matter what politics are winning the day. Um, and, and so we just need to think about day to day, like, how do I live redemptively? I, I just thought, thought that was an interesting point. Yeah, that's great. Well, thanks again for joining us for an episode of Page Two Podcast. And as always, we'd love to hear from you. And we're just so grateful that you're listening. You can interact with us on our Facebook page or through our website at page2podcast.com. We'd like to give a special thanks to the Center for Church Renewal, who generously gives us their recording studio to be able to record this. Thanks for listening. We hope you can join us the next time. 